We're trying to grow spiritually and we're resisting along the way. Bill calls it selfishness one time, egocentric one time, whatever it is. It is this quality about ourselves that wants to fight progress on the spiritual path. So over on the spiritual side, there's no such thing as a good ego. Ego is blocking us from a higher power. When we say we want to be a child of God, and that's all, we're trying to get rid of this big identity that our ego makes up in order to exist. Our spirituality is a process of unlearning as opposed to learning. Chuck Chamberlain talked about that all the time. Uncover, discover, discard. What else am I wrong about? What else can I get rid of? Get rid of. Get rid of. The problem is we can't get rid of it without our higher power's help. This is the way it's been set up. We can want to be moral, but we can't without God's help. But God always makes us too moral. You follow what I'm saying? He wants to always make me go further than I want to go. I don't want to be that moral. I want to save some wiggle room. A guy's in business, and we say, honesty, honesty. Wouldn't you like God to make you totally? Yes, I want to. Well, no, actually, what I want. I want an honest reputation. I would like to be known as an honest businessman. But sometimes you need the wiggle room to screw a guy on a deal just to stay alive in this dog-eat-dog world. So I don't want God to totally take away my ability to not be honest. Sorry, that's not available. You follow what I'm saying? And so you mean I keep coming back that I have to shoot for all of it, all of it, until I'm the guy at the club. What do you do? Whatever I'm told. Oh, that's going to be a long struggle before you catch me at the club saying, I just do whatever I'm told. But I'm going to tell you one thing, that's the only place that happiness is. And that's the struggle that our higher power asks us to engage in. I know you can't get there, but would you try? And you're going to try and fail, you're going to try and fail, and you're going to get up and try again. And that's what willingness is, the willingness to always shoot for something beyond ourselves. Welcome home, friend, to Sober Shares Podcast, Episode 65. Today's episode features Sandy Beach. The name of this talk is The Riddle of Our Existence and was recorded at the Carolina Spring Fling Convention in North Carolina in the year 2006. My name is Michael, and I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date is October 10th of the year 2000. I created this show to spread hope across the world that recovery from alcohol and drug addiction is possible. I am glad you were here, and I hope you find what you are looking for. Please remember that this program is solely supported by listeners like you. All donations will be reinvested into the podcast to pay our monthly operating expenses. You can support us by visiting our website, SoberShares.com, and clicking on the Donate button and follow the prompts. There is also a clickable link in the show notes of the episode that you are listening to right now. Please contact me directly 
at mike at SoberShares.com with any comments, questions, or concerns. I want to thank you for joining us. And now it's time to read a little bit of listener feedback we received this week. The first one is from Stephanie G. Stephanie says, I was searching for a different AA podcast and stumbled upon Sober Shares. I was so captivated by the honesty of Rebecca Share that I felt like I wanted to email you and tell you that I thought it was great. I could really relate and feel the same feelings that she felt. I will be listening more and recommending it to my friends and to my family. So thank you, Stephanie G. The next one comes from Scott S. I have followed your podcast probably since its inception or shortly thereafter. I love it. I just listened to Vanessa Guild's interview, and without exception, I have never been more moved by an interview. It captured the essence of life's true meaning. I have sent her an email as well, hoping to speak with her personally. You've got it going on, my brother. My personal sobriety has grown listening to the episodes. I am 61 years old. I'm a retired police officer, and I was a blackout drunk dealing with PTSD and childhood trauma. As they say, alcohol is a great self-medicator when it works, not so good when it grabs you by the throat and turns your life upside down. Thanks again for all you do. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for writing in. Next feedback comes from Donovan B. I think Sober Shares is great. Keep doing what you are doing. I'll be listening from the first episode with Michael M. all the way to the newest episode that you will be releasing I want to mention some of the people that have been kind enough to help us with a financial donation. Special shout out to Marlena L., Red S., Stephanie G., Colin H., and Roy H. And now it's time to get to today's featured speaker, Sandy Beach. Take it away, brother. Hi, everybody. My name's Sandy Beach, and I'm an alcoholic. If you're new, what I'm trying to do is to talk about our program, which is a spiritual program. So we're talking about spirituality, and we're talking about the dilemma of living in a material world with all of its rules that we were so used to living by, and then coming in here, and a suggestion is being made, why don't you try to live over on this side of the equation and allow those principles to dominate your life and slowly let go of all those old ideas on how to get happy and how to live in this world that we learned by watching television and by <laughs> hanging around all the other people. And uh, you just knew that if you got a Mercedes, you'd finally be happy. I mean, it just... Um, It turned out that most of what I learned out there was true except for the last line. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, this is what I was told. I was told, if you study hard, you will get high grades. And that's a true statement. If you study hard, you will get high grades. And if you get high grades, you can go to a good school. And that's true. And if you go to a good school and can get high grades, then you can get a good job. And if you go to get a good job and you work really hard, you will succeed. And if you succeed, you can get a lot of stuff. You can get a house and a boat and you can have a family and you can be a father or a mother and you can have two children and you can be important in your community. 
And if you do all that, and here comes the lie, you'll be happy. (laughs) That's the only lie in that whole story. You'll be happy. And so since all of us were born with something inside of us that wants us to be happy, it becomes kind of a, how, how does this work? How do you get there? And it wasn't until I got to Alcoholics Anonymous and they told me that happiness came from a close contact with my own creator. Why is AA a spiritual program? Because it has to be. Because nothing else can lay a glove on the disease of alcoholism. Nothing else can help the suffering alcoholic. You know, we read ABCs at the end of chapter five, where alcoholic couldn't manage our own lives. No human power could have relieved our alcoholism. So we have a disease that requires a spiritual solution. You know, if you're a newcomer, that's a shocking revelation. What? I remember talking to my sponsor. I said, what, what? It requires a spiritual solution. I don't believe in spiritual solution. Well, you're screwed. I'm sorry. (laughs) You're not going to go anywhere. Read the doctor's opinion. What does it say in the doctor's opinion? We, We have a disease that requires an entire psychic change for there to be any hope for my life. I'm going, what? Entire psychic change. Who was that doctor? Silkworth. That was Silkworth's opinion. Well, I'm going to get another opinion. That's the desperation that many of us have against the idea of spirituality. And so maybe I go find another doctor. And I say to him, doctor, is there a alternate solution to a spiritual solution to alcohol? Yeah. See, I finally find one. He said, yeah, there is. And I can give you short-term sobriety or long-term sobriety. Which would you like? I said, well, what is short-term sobriety? This is non-spiritual answers, okay? Short-term sobriety on a non-spiritual basis could be accomplished like this. As soon as you're ready to get sober, you want to stop drinking, you just need to stop, you go up to a corner where a cop is standing and punch him. No warning, nothing. You should easily get 90 days of sobriety out of that. And um, then when, you're, when they let you out, you can go along. And if you get drunk again and you want short-term sobriety, punch another cop. And so it can be done. You can see that. What about long-term sobriety? Oh, you kill the cop. And then that... So you can see (laughs) the alternatives and the ultimate long-term sobriety, you die. And then you start really staying sober for the first time. My point is that the disease, it is the understanding of the exact nature of your problem that is the only way to get into this spiritual program. Because if you don't have to have spirituality, it's awful hard to go after it. We have a chapter called, There is a Solution. 
And that chapter is useless unless you have a problem. Who's going to read about a solution to if you don't have the problem? It's sort of like an academic chapter. Well, in case there's a quiz, <laughs> I'll know what's in the chapter, but I don't really need to read this chapter because I don't have the problem that it's going to solve. But if you have this problem and understand it, so that's why we spend so much time on the first step. And it must take up how many pages in the big book going all the way into the um, appendices and the doctor's opinion and more about alcohol. It must be about 50, 60 pages before we get to step two. So it's essential in understanding how to become spiritual is to understand the, the problem. Now, we, when you really look at the, the big picture, we should be able to do that without having a fatal disease. We should suddenly realize the futility of trying to exist just on the material level, that it's always going to fail, it's always going to fail, it's always going to fail. But with somehow you, know, you can hang in there and kind of sort of have a mediocre life and, and um, not be driven into desperately seeking spiritual help. And so the gift that all of us have is desperation. I finally am so desperate, I'm willing to do anything. Willingness is the opposite of willfulness, and we suddenly are getting peace of mind because we're not going to fight it anymore. I mean, if we don't take the first step 100%, the rest of the steps are like pulling teeth. I don't know, maybe I'll... The inventory thing, oh my God, oh my God. Whereas if we realize that this is life or death and we're absolutely desperate, we're going, well, how quick can I get to step four? How quick can I get to step five? You see what I'm saying? I got to get there, I got to get there. As opposed to, don't push me, I don't need to go. You know, All of these problems that appear later on in sobriety very often go back to, we didn't take the first step all the way. There was some reservation that maybe I'm not as bad as somebody else. Maybe I don't desperately need a higher power, et cetera, et cetera. Now I'm going to throw in another point, and I've been using this um, for a couple of years just to make a point. Most anybody who knows some old timers that have been around longer than I have, and if you were to talk to them, they would say, geez, about 50, 60 years ago, in almost all medium-sized cities and in even some of the larger metropolitan areas, there was only one meeting a week. One meeting a week. And people were staying sober. They were staying sober just like they are today. Now, how in God's name could you stay sober on one meeting a week? Well, the way I understand it, you really look forward to that meeting. <laughs> wow, three more days, I'll be at the meeting, you know, and so. That was a pretty big event, that meeting. And then you may have a friend who's getting sober too, and you can meet with him and have coffee or meet with her and have coffee, and that would break up the week a little bit. But mostly, you prayed like hell and prayed and prayed and prayed like hell. Now, today, We've got 6 a.m. meetings, 8 a.m. meetings, 12 o'clock meetings, 4 o'clock meetings, midnight meetings, 7, 8 o'clock. 
We got AA clubs, we got conferences, we got CDs, we got pamphlets on everything in the world. We've got, um, I mean, we have this incredible support network. We have, the, I mean, it is so amazing, you don't have to hardly pray at all. <laughs> now, you better think about that. You don't have to hardly pray at all. Imagine that, a spiritual program where you don't have to hardly pray at all. <laughs> so what I'm trying to talk about is um, spirituality in the beginning. You have a sponsor, and they get you through. They, they are going to move you to what I call a certain level. And we call that a we program. But eventually, you read uh, what Bill writes about in the Step 11, in both the big book and 12 and 12, says now it's an individual effort, individual effort. So I think the program, as we're talking about it, can take us to a certain level, but then it's going to be up to us whether we pray like hell or not, or whether we are going to really try and understand these steps and understand what the whole deal is. And so that's what I'm trying to do today is to just talk about um, a particular problem that the human condition presents, um, and there's many of them. And, it's, and I heard a speaker uh, say this, and I said, that captures the essence of what I'm trying to describe. And this is what he said, and I just love it. You know, we have a saying in AA, you know, we're trying to... Tell a newcomer, okay, remember this. I can't, God can, let him. I mean, how simply that summarizes everything. I can't, God can, let him. Now, here's what the speaker said, and this is the condition I want to describe. I can't, God can. On second thought, maybe I can. <laughs> <laughs> now, it's that second thought. That, why is that there? Why is that there? Well, that's the riddle of our existence, is that thought. Why does that come in? I can, I can't, I can't, there's no way. God can Wait a minute. What, is there some part of me that doesn't want God to help me? I mean, something part of me wouldn't want pure love and all this to come in? You know what the answer is? Yes. Yes. There's a big part of me that does not want this to work. Because the more this works, the less my ego exists. As I look at our literature in the uh, 12 and 12, in the third step, the beginning of this situation that I'm trying to describe, in the third step, Bill is talking about we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Bill always writes about the principle, and then being a good alcoholic, 
The next thing he often writes about is your thought against doing it. You know what I mean? Okay, here's the idea. Sound good? Yeah, it does, but wait a minute. And then here comes the resistance to turning our lives over. And in the 12 and 12, this is what he says we will think. Wait a minute. Yeah, I can understand turning my drink problem over, but all other areas of my life? That's what that step says. I've just been looking at that. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. Okay, I mean, I understand I have to turn my drink problem over, but turn everything else over? Whoa! Remember the line there? If I do that, I'll be a non-entity. I'll be the hole in the donut. And who wants to be a hole in the donut? This is the phenomenon. I can't, God can't. Oh, on second thought, I don't want to be the hole in the donut. I don't want to be a non-entity. Now, I don't know what a non-entity is in the material world, but a non-entity in the spiritual world is a completely spiritual person. That would be a non-entity. No ego identity whatsoever. I'm simply an instrument of my higher power, as the 11th step suggests, praying only for knowledge of his will and the power to carry it out. That, that doesn't leave much of a role for me. <laughs> you follow what I mean? Just picture perfect spirituality, which none of us will ever achieve. But you have to think about these things to see where this is trying to ask us to struggle to get, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry it out. So every day we just get up and we just go, what would you like me to do? And okay, thank you, I'm going to do that. And then I know I can't possibly do that, so you're going to have to give me the power to do it, making me totally dependent on my higher power for direction and power. But that leaves me as just some little wimpy instrument so now imagine that I'm really perfecting this. And I join a country club. And um, some of the new members haven't met everybody, and so they have us sit around, and they go, well, now, Ralph, you're joining the country. Who are you? Tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you do? And he said, well, I'm the vice president of the power company here. I um, also serve on the board of my church. I happen to be this. I am the father of five, and I am involved in this, and I help a little charity, and I also play a little golf. That's who I am, and that's what I do. And then the next person, what do you do? Well, I am a uh, painter. I have a painting contracting company, and I do the blah, 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 blah. And then he comes to Sandy. He says, Sandy, what do you do? I say, I just do what I'm told. <laughs> follow what I'm saying? So being a completely spiritual person is going to make you look bad. I just do what I'm told. Oh, boy, look at that. So I'm certainly not going to. So you can see the resistance is building. The second, the concept is advanced. And we're saying this will provide you with absolute Peace of mind, happy, joyous, and free. It's all there. It's waiting for you to grab it. And then we go, well, why don't we grab it? Well, on second thought, maybe I can do this on my own. On second thought, 
Maybe I can do this on my own. So now we're getting into the sixth step, which is where, this, where all this action takes place, is in this sixth step. And uh, this was this is a, a short little step. We're entirely ready to have God remove our defects of character, our shortcomings, defects. Um, we're entirely ready to have God remove. That's pretty simple, isn't it? We're entirely willing, entirely ready to have God remove. And so, um, as Bill's in the big book, it's just a few sentences before it gets into the seven-step prayer. You know, am I, am I really willing? Do I really want all this? If I'm not, then i got to pray for willingness. And once I'm ready, then I say the seven-step prayer. But when you get over the 12 and 12, suddenly this innocuous four or five sentences in the big book is the chapter or the step that separates the men from the boys, the girls from the women. Seem to have grown dramatically since the big book <laughs> in importance. This is the big step. This is huge. Well, why is it huge? This implies perfection. We're, we're entirely ready to have God make us perfect. Now, this isn't why I came here. <laughs> this is, this reminds me of those early days with my sponsor when I came here and said, hey, hey, this is where you stop drinking. And I, so I stopped and uh, and I'm going to meetings, and my sponsor said, um, you know, Sandy, I know, and I was in the Marine Corps back then, and he says, I know you're dipping into the petty cash out at the base in that unit that you're in. That's embezzling. I mean, whatever you call it, you can go to jail for a long time. So from now on, no more embezzling. So I'm saying to myself, Ha, ha, ha. So there's two things you got to give up <laughs> in this program. It's not just drinking. It's drinking and embezzling. <laughs> and then, you know, five, six months go by, and he pulls me in again. And he said, you know, Sandy, you're married, you have this family and everything, and he said, the marriage, you, a marriage, you can't keep this going and have affairs. Stop them. And I'm going, oh, there's three things involved in Alcoholics Anonymous. No drinking, no embezzling, and no affairs. And then, you know, I mean, it's like every two months. Let me tell you number 11. Let me tell you this, let me tell you that. And it was almost like... Geez, what is this? And now we're finding out when we get to the sixth step, we're entirely ready to have God remove everything. And, um, you know, perfection, you know, that's, that's just, there's no way I could get that willing. And then that's what Bill writes about in the sixth step. How can I get the willingness to have God remove everything? It sounds good in theory. You follow what I'm saying? Wouldn't you like to have all your characters? Oh, yeah, I really would. And it kind of reminds me of the federal deficit. Wouldn't you like to see a balance? But yes! Well, here's how we'll do it. <laughs> We're going to cut your favorite program and raise your taxes. Ready to go? Whoa, wait, wait. <laughs> Whoa. 
let's partially balance the budget. Let's apply the old half measures routine on that baby. So it's not in the principle, it's in the specifics. The specifics of entirely willing to have God remove. See, the, the bad word is all. Well, there's two bad words, God and all. God remove all our defects of character. C.S. Lewis, who is a wonderful spiritual writer, gave me the analogy that I love to use on the sixth step, and I read it probably 30 years ago. And this was the analogy to the dilemma that we have as we think about we're entirely willing to have God, ready to have God remove our defect. He told the story of a little boy who had a toothache. Um, that's the title of the story. He's maybe 10, 11, he's a baseball player in his uh, school, and the big game is tomorrow, and the coach called all the kids in and said, this is for the championship. When you go home tonight, I don't even want you to think about the game. Don't practice anymore, don't do anything. All you need to do is to get eight hours sleep, and you'll win the game. All I need is a rested team, and we will win. So this little boy came home, and he told his mother, I want to eat early and I want to go to bed at nine and I want to get eight hours sleep and uh, guaranteed. That's, so he's all fired up for this and he carried it right out and about midnight he woke up with the beginnings of a little toothache. You know how you get that first little tingling? Oh, ooh, wow. And he said to himself, oh, toothache, it's starting to wake me up out of my sleep. If I call my mother, she gives me two aspirin Within 10 minutes, that tingling will go away, and I'll be back to sleep. But he didn't call her. He decided to wait and see if the toothache would go away by, by itself. So he's waiting. He's going, is it gone? It's not gone. I can't tell. It's gone. Oh, no, it's still there. I ought to call my mother and get those aspirin. No, I'm going to wait. And maybe it'll go away by itself. And, and he kept playing this game until 4 in the morning. 4 in the morning, it just out of desperation, and finally he just goes, Mom, and she comes, give him the two aspirin, back to sleep, but he's very tired when he wakes up, and he makes a couple errors, and doesn't win, no hits, and just, you know, because he's exhausted. So the question is, what was that all about? What was that routine? <laughs> I ought to get the aspirin. <laughs> and here's the answer. The answer is, he knew his mother, because he'd done this before. And he knew that, yes, his mother would come in very lovingly, give him the two aspirin, he'd be right back to sleep, he'd go off, he'd probably do well in the ball game, but she was not going to stop there. She was going to make a dental appointment for him <laughs> because of that little tingle in the tooth, and they were going to go to the dentist and they were going to find out exactly what was going on in that tooth. And if it needed to be fixed, it was going to be fixed. But furthermore, he knew the dentist. And he knew that when you went there, yeah, he looked at that tooth, but he looked at every tooth in your mouth while you're there. And if you had other cavities, you had a series of appointments until you got perfect teeth. 
He didn't want perfect teeth. He just wanted two aspirin. <laughs> you follow what I'm saying? But the only help that was available was perfect help. So he had to, his dilemma as he lay there sleeping was perfect teeth <laughs> or stay awake or hope it goes away. So he was not weighing against two aspirin, he's weighing against perfect teeth or maybe it'll go away on its own. So this is what Bill is writing when he talks about this in this sixth step. And, this, and I think I'm quoting, he says, Having been granted a perfect release from alcoholism because we became entirely ready to have God remove that, why do we have any other character defects left? Why are all the rest of them still there in everyone in this room? Why? Why? See, we can no longer use the excuse that maybe somebody else can. This is just a theory. If you got entirely willing, you don't actually think that there's some power that just comes in and goes, boop, problem gone, do you? Well, you could pull that on everyone except alcoholics. Because everyone in this room will get up here and go, I, it was hopeless. There was nothing I could do. There's no way I could stop drinking. There's no way I could get rid of the obsession to drink. And so I got down on my knee and said, God, please take care of this. I became entirely willing and I humbly asked after doing the inventory and everything. And it was lifted out of me. I haven't thought about drinking in 41 years. You think a human being can do that? So I've been given all of the proof I need that this, in fact, works. So I can't use that as an excuse. I can't say, well, the reason I haven't totally gotten rid of greed is this is like a theory. You know what I mean? This spirituality stuff is just a theory. It really couldn't possibly work, could it? Yeah, unfortunately, we gave you perfect proof that it works. So what's your excuse now? Well, 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 and that's right then, Bill goes, this is the riddle of our existence. Why are we stuck here? And he goes on to say that perhaps the answer only lies in the mind of God, but that he can make a couple of guesses. And this is what he suggests. He suggests that, number one, our drinking, as in terms of character defects, is in a league of its own in that it was fatal. And uh, since it was fatal, and we saw that it probably was going to kill us, and maybe even soon, we were able to get our ego to go along with this. Because after all, if we die, our ego dies too. So out of self-survival, the ego decides to let God have this little narrow part of us in order so that it can keep going playing its game. And so that would be, that's a pretty good explanation when you stop and think about it. This was a fatal character defect. And out of pure survival, I was able to muster the 100% willingness to have this lifted out of me. But the rest of them, they're not in that league. They're not up at that level of threatening to me. But in a way, they really are. Because they are, in their own way, blocking me from the sunlight of the spirit 
on a daily basis. And so Bill comes along with one of my favorite lines in the uh, 12 and 12. As you, and, it's, and he cuts us some slack. He goes, look, we are um, physical and spiritual entities. And so this, we've been thrown into a conflicting, very difficult thing in order to make it a struggle. Otherwise, it would be very easy. I mean, and anything that's easy doesn't have much value. You know what I'm talking about? Anything that you really value is something that you worked really hard for. And you, you, know, you worked hard for your sobriety, so it, it achieves a lot of value. And so if, this was, if all you had to do to have everything lifted away was just go, okay, gone. You, you would just go, well, so? But this is going to take the rest of our lives struggling as hard as we can to just keep moving up a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. But those moves give us that sense of great value. And we start cherishing whatever spiritual progress we've made because we can experience it ourselves. And so the line that he came up with was, we, set, we tend to settle for as much perfection as will get us by. We, that's what we do. Well, God, uh, I'd like you, you know, and we just start in on the character defects. Just start in on any of them. How about lust? Wouldn't it be wonderful if God would just remove 100% of lust? No more tormenting and temptation. It would just be gone. Wouldn't that be just wonderful? I don't see the enthusiasm that I... <laughs> that one might expect upon hearing this wonderful offer. I know what you're doing. You're doing the same thing I am. No lust. What is that? Is that like being dead? What I want, I'd like to have it toned down, man. I'd like to tone that mother down. I, you know, <laughs> but I don't want it gone. <clears throat> so, you know, and so each one of us, whether we realize it or not, is, is in our mind says, put me down for 60% reduction in that. Put me down for that. I want to make some progress. I'm, I want to make some progress. And then we go, sorry, no way to give you 60%. It's all or nothing. Oh, oh, oh. Well, let's move on to greed. <laughs> let's move on to greed. I, I, I'll make progress in lust some other time. Let's, let's, let's just get into greed, greed, you know, wanting stuff and wanting and wanting and thinking about hitting the lottery and boy, if I had that and all that stuff. Wouldn't it be nice to just, whew, no connection with wanting anything. I'm just absolutely thrilled with things just the way they are. Keep the same car, the same house. Well, maybe in two years I'll get a new car. And um, that guy with the yacht does look happier than me. I mean, I see him on TV. When you own yachts, you're happy automatically. You know, and, um, 
So I don't want to be so greedy I steal, I don't want to be this or that, but I do want to look out for myself. After all, guy has to look out for himself. You don't see that in the book anywhere. You have to look out for yourself. <laughs> I remember hearing before I came in, God takes care of those who take care of themselves. I don't see that anywhere. You know what I think it says? God helps those who ask. That's what I think it's all about. That's God helps those who ask. Anyway, so what are we going to put down for greed? Oh, 50%. Okay, you know what Dr. Bob said was one of the big things that's going to destroy AA? Gossiping. Now, that is a serious problem. I mean, just, you know, you just tear down somebody else's reputation in order to build yours up. I mean, can you imagine that, the gossiping that goes on in Alcoholics Anonymous? It's disgusting, but it's interesting. <laughs> It's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting. And so you got to think about it. We're, we're trying to apply this step. It, what, what the point of this whole thing is to show you how hard it is, and that's why he wrote, this is the step that separates the men from the boys, the women from the girls. So we take a look at this thing and say, well, what am I going to do about that? What am I going to do about that? Well, i got to think. And I go, you know something? I've been thinking about gossip and how bad it is now. And anyone who would sit around and think up something or repeat or think up something malicious about somebody is disgusting. And I am going to ask God to totally remove. I'm going to become 100% willing to have God remove from me for all times, originating gossip. Now, <clears throat> if someone else originates it, <laughs> I am merely a conduit, like a, <laughs> a telephone line. I'm a, I'm a neutral force as the information is circulated, that's an entirely different matter, especially if it's really good. So put me down, no more originating gossip. And we could just go on gluttony, uh, whatever it is. Oh, I'm sick and tired of it. I eat so much and I just, I want to get rid of that. Okay, would you like God to just lift it out so that all you ever eat is just what you need? just the few calories that are actually required to exist as a happy human being. And we wouldn't be sitting around eating for pleasure, we'd only be eating because we need to. You know, like a horse, he goes, I need some grass. Well, okay, that's enough for now. <laughs> He's not going over there and going, well, I'm already full, I think I'll eat another acre. So wouldn't it be fun, wouldn't it be wonderful to just eat what we need and no eating for pleasure? Wouldn't that be, well, I'd like to give up most pleasure. I, I can just hear us thinking, oh, we gotta leave in chocolate cakes and we gotta leave in, I mean, what if nobody went to the hospitality room? 
and ate all the brownies. Just think of the women who made the brownies. It would hurt their feelings. I'm going to eat a dozen brownies just to make them feel good. <laughs> you, you see how hard it is to give up 100%, 100%, 100%. And so we're left with, what is the problem here? We're trying to grow spiritually, and we're resisting along the way. Bill calls it selfishness one time, egocentric one time, whatever it is. It is this quality about ourselves that wants to fight progress on the spiritual path. So over on the spiritual side, there's no such thing as a good ego. Ego is blocking us from a higher power. When we say we want to be a child of God, and that's all, we're trying to get rid of this big identity that our ego makes up in order to exist. Our spirituality is a process of unlearning as opposed to learning. Chuck Chamberlain talked about that all the time. Uncover, discover, discard. What else am I wrong about? What else can I get rid of? Get rid of. Get rid of. The problem is we can't get rid of it without our higher power's help. This is the way it's been set up. We can want to be moral, but we can't without God's help. But God always makes us too moral. You follow what I'm saying? He wants to always make me go further than I want to go. I don't want to be that moral. I want to save some wiggle room. A guy's in business, and we say, honesty, honesty. Wouldn't you like God to make you totally? Yes, I want to. Well, no, actually, what I want. I want an honest reputation. I would like to be known as an honest businessman. But sometimes you need the wiggle room to screw a guy on a deal just to stay alive in this dog-eat-dog world. So I don't want God to totally take away my ability to not be honest. Sorry, that's not available. You follow? <laughs> and so you mean I keep coming back that I have to shoot for all of it, all of it, until I'm the guy at the club. What do you do? Whatever I'm told. Oh, that's going to be a long struggle before you catch me at the club saying, I just do whatever I'm told. But I'm going to tell you one thing, that's the only place that happiness is. And that's the struggle that our higher power asks us to engage in. I know you can't get there, but would you try? And you're going to try and fail, you're going to try and fail, and you're going to get up and try again. And that's what willingness is. The willingness to always shoot for something beyond ourselves. And that will do it for today's episode. Thank you very much, Sandy Beach. I want to take a moment to read something called The Rewards. It was presented at the 1985 International Conference of Alcoholics Anonymous by an AA member named Ann C. And this is what we get as a reward for working the 12 steps. Similar to the promises, but different. Here we go. One, hope instead of desperation. Two, faith instead of despair. Three, courage instead of fear. Four, peace of mind instead of confusion. Five, self-respect instead of self-contempt. Six, self-confidence instead of helplessness.
7, the respect of others instead of their pity and contempt. 8, a clean conscience instead of a sense of guilt. 9, real friendships instead of loneliness. 10, a clean pattern of living instead of a hopeless existence. 11, the love and understanding of our families instead of their doubts and fears. 12, the freedom of a happy life instead of the bondage of an alcoholic obsession. I really appreciate you being out there and listening. I treasure and value you as a listener, and I know time is a very valuable asset, and I appreciate you allocating time to listen to this show. It means a lot to me. If no one's told you they love you today, I do. I love you. I care about you. And remember, your biggest problem is not your biggest problem. Your biggest problem is how you feel about your biggest problem. See you on the next episode.